0: Welcome to Hazel, and Katniss, and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Brenna.
0: And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishnabe, on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805
1: and on the tecumloops Loopstay sequepin territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequepin-Ulu. And today's text, The Moth Diaries, is kind of ambiguous about its setting. We think it's upstate New York, but we can't prove it. So mm-hmm. we'll tell you that the film version was shot in Montreal, the traditional land of the Gananaque and Haudenosaunee peoples.
0: Mm-hmm. Joe. Yes.
1: We're back in vampire land. <laughs> sort of, maybe, question mark. <laughs> question mark. And I... I think that there are a lot of things to enjoy about this text. And also, I kind of found it kind of messy. And I think the film is even messier. But Hmm. I don't think that it deserves all of the negative reactions that it got online. So I'm excited to talk to you about that today. Because like... This is very much a girl-centered text mm-hmm. about girls' lives, mm-hmm. film version directed by a woman. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that it wears a lot of baggage for that that is undeserved. So I'm excited to dig into this one today, even though, like, admittedly not 100% my cup of tea.
0: Right. Yeah, this is probably leaning a little bit more towards my interests, And I will confess, I was intrigued to see what your response would be, particularly to the book, which I think I liked quite a bit more than you. But Mm -hmm. I'm also acknowledging that I've read Carmilla, and I know, not a lot, but I think I'm more familiar with some of the lesbian vampire tropes that are, I think, handled better in the book than the actual film. But yeah, I mean... I'm surprised at the sort of dismissive ness that both the book and the film seem to receive. Like, not a lot of people talk about this, not a lot of people reference it, and I'm also a little curious as to whether that's a specifically gendered response.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because um, to put all the cards on the table for folks who aren't familiar with this title, the film has like 13% on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: Mm-hmm. like it's not great but it's not it's not 13 <laughs> like
1: for comparison the vampire academy's tv series is currently sitting at 65
0: and mm-hmm. that's not i think some convinced. fan bombing but sure <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'm not convinced this is worse well the, the fan bombing thing is i think a key piece because i don't think this film from reading about how it kind of got buried after it didn't do very well in initial critical responses like mm-hmm. I don't know if the target audience ever got to see this movie.
0: No, no. Like, even when I bring it up with folks, they either, A, haven't heard of it, they know of it because Mary Heron is a relatively well-known and well-respected director because she has done some pretty iconic horror pieces, albeit not recently in film. She's been doing more television work lately, and people are Mm. very happy to see her still actively making content. But yeah, I mean, this film just kind of came and went and... As I said, people just don't talk about it.
1: Yeah. But I guess we should start with a plot summary and then Mm -hmm. we can get into the nitty gritty. So, All right. um, I think it's important to note something that the book can do that the film can't do is that Mm -hmm. there is a lot of ambiguity in the book. So not just like, where is this even set? But like, our narrator in the book doesn't actually have a name. No. And I think that's really key to some of what the book is trying to do in this sort of like she's kind of an every girl in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways who is trapped in experiences of trauma and i think that that's hard to succeed at but i actually really liked the attempt in this book so anyway Mm -hmm. let me start again
0: (laughs) okay i was like this is great you're not you're not telling people anything that if they haven't read it (laughs) but well said
1: (laughs) So The Moth Diaries is uh, written by Rachel Klein, published in 2002, and it is her first novel. And Mm -hmm. in many ways, it feels like a debut novel.
0: A little bit, yeah.
1: Yeah. So the book is literally a diary. So we Mm -hmm. are reading the thoughts of our unnamed narrator through the diary, who is very much obsessed with her roommate, Lucy. Mm -hmm. And they're away at boarding school, and she you know, has like come out of her shell in many ways because of Lucy. The narrator's father died by suicide prior to her coming to the boarding school the year previously. And she credits Lucy with sort of finding her way back to like joy and girlhood. Mm -hmm. And they have this very, um, I don't know, enmeshed relationship. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, it seems like they're really good for each other. And, you know, our unnamed protagonist is very excited for the second year because I think she thinks that she's moved past the death of her father and that Mm -hmm. she and Lucy are going to have this great year. And then it all goes to crap.
1: Because there's a new girl and she's disturbing.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. She's got that dark hair and those dark eyes. And oh, wait, she's Jewish like our unnamed protagonist.
1: Yes, really interesting things happening around faith and religion in this book that I don't feel mm-hmm. like, I don't feel qualified to unpack, but there's-
0: Woefully unprepared to discuss, yes. <laughs>
1: something going on there. So our classmate, Ernessa, yes, she is dark and mysterious.
0: hmm Definitely not a vampire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she keeps a lot of secrets. She keeps herself to herself. She doesn't come out of her room a lot. Um, when you do see inside of her room, it looks like nobody lives there. Also, it's full of moths. Hence Mm -hmm. the Moth Diaries. And our narrator begins to believe that Ernessa is coming between her and Lucy. That there's something in a relationship emerging between Lucy and Ernessa that's making it so that not just that Lucy doesn't want to spend time with our unnamed narrator anymore, but that Lucy isn't really Lucy. That something else is happening to her. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, From there, we emerge into kind of like... The world's worst school year <laughs> so mm-hmm.
0: so much bad stuff happens
1: so much bad stuff so first a dog dies then one of the girls mysteriously falls from the drain pipe that they all use to move around the outside of the building but all of a sudden one of them falls and dies
0: Mm-hmm. Right outside of Ernessa's window.
1: Just below Ernessa's window, and Ernessa sleeps through it. Hmm,
0: mm-hmm. that's weird. Very um, weird.
1: A teacher dies, happens to be the teacher who most torments Ernessa because this teacher is anti Semitic, and also Ernessa skips gym class all the time, and this is the gym teacher. So mm-hmm. they have this very fraught relationship. And in many ways, the teacher who dies is also the only teacher who has gotten at Ernest's weakness by making her swim to make up the gym mm-hmm. classes that she misses. Spoiler yes. alert, vampires aren't good at swimming. Apparently,
0: Apparently not. Apparently.
1: <laughs> um so yeah, so all of this culminates Lucia Lucy begins to get sicker and sicker and sicker and Our narrator is certain that Ernessa is at the core of it, but nobody believes her. Not even the hot English teacher who is making a pass at our unnamed narrator. And eventually Lucy also dies. The end. Oh, no, not the end. Then the narrator (laughs) lights the basement on fire to try Mm -hmm. to kill the vampire, but it doesn't work. The end.
0: Yeah. As you said, very ambiguous. This girl cannot be trusted. And I think that's one of the reasons why I ended up really enjoying the novel. It's a little overwritten. It is definitely too long. It overstays its welcome. But one of the things I really liked was how frequently... Her personality would come through in sort of innocuous conversation and details. Like she's a really opinionated girl, and when people don't agree with her or do something that runs counter to what she wants, we get these flashes of anger and frustration. Mm-hmm. And she's not very kind. She's very judgmental. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in in some ways, she's a real person, which I quite like. But it also makes you think, well. Is she just a teen girl whose best friend has moved on to someone else and as a result she is lashing out or is she actually the only person who is aware that there is a supernatural event occurring at this boarding school?
1: One of the most fascinating elements that Rachel Klein plays with in this sort of unreliable narrator thing
0: mm-hmm. is
1: that our narrator can see when the other girls are spinning themselves up into a big lie or a rumor that's going to like Take flight,
0: mm-hmm. She's very observant.
1: Which I think is a play to make you think like, oh, well, you know, she's the one who's clear-eyed. Mm-hmm. But it also just shows, because we do know that our narrator is particularly unself-aware often, especially in her relationships with other people. Yes. Um, so we, I love that part of it. Like, I think that there's a lot of really challenging narrative stuff happening around just how this story is told. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of fun and also really, really creepy. So I did appreciate that.
0: Right. One thing that we have not addressed is that there is also a framing device. So Mm. she, the unnamed protagonist is rereading her own diary from when she is a sophomore at this boarding school, but she's reading it as an adult. And it's given to her by a doctor who acknowledges that she is bipolar and was probably depressed. And grieving. I
1: hated the afterward so much.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's just an interesting thing, right? I'm I'm not always super fond of framing devices because I think they can rob a lot of the narrative tension. So here, you know that she was going through something, but she has gotten better. We also know that she, as a result, will not die or anything like that, but frames oh shockingly enough the way that we interpret everything that she does because we immediately have to question her state of mind throughout the whole thing and then yeah we get to the the end and the end is not particularly satisfying back mm-hmm. in the present day
1: well that's the thing i think i actually managed to completely forget about the framing device by about halfway right. in mm-hmm. Which is to the book's benefit, because then you do get to get sucked up and you do start to get to believe what the narrator is telling us in a way that I think if the framing device was more uh, maybe rigidly imposed, that would be difficult. Mm -hmm. But then, I mean, I was telling Joe, I just finished this book before we sat down to record because it's been one of those weeks. and. um i I was like i was reading it and i was like you get to the end of the book what you think is the end of the book and i was like oh like there's a lot of ambiguity here mm-hmm, i kind of dig mm-hmm. it and, and then you turn the page and it's like the afterward and it's just like thud
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what do we learn in this afterward
1: uh in the afterward we learned that she spent senior year in a psychiatric hospital yeah that she is now married with two daughters that Burp. her daughters are much better people than she was because she recognizes by watching her daughters that she was entirely wrapped up in sort of narcissism. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess what we find out is that it never really happened, right? Because one of the questions that I have is they've been having these reunions every five years, which kill me, the idea.
0: <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> the idea not. I don't even want to go to a 10-year. No. Mm-mm. No, uh-uh,
1: never. Um, but Ernessa isn't even mentioned in... Those. Right. So I guess what we learned is that Ernessa wasn't really there. Is that what we learned? I don't know.
0: Well, and, and therein lies, I think, either the appeal of this book to certain audiences or the really frustrating piece about this because I'm fine with ambiguity. I would have Me been too. happy to have had it, you know, did she go a little mad or was Ernessa really real and she was the only one who took notice of it? But yeah, the end of the book, kind of wants to have it always Mm -hmm. like if you want to believe it you could but also the fact that Ernessa is never mentioned and everyone reacts like yeah she just went to the psychiatric ward this unnamed protagonist I don't know I think it would have been better to have kept the opening framing device so that we read it cautiously but then Mm -hmm. it feels so pat and almost Mm -hmm. dismissive of all the interesting parts by having this afterward like and then there was a rainbow and i've got kids and i'm better now. <laughs> it's funny
1: that you say that Joe because literally i finished the afterward and i was like, well, why did i read that then? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it really it does. It cuts the wind out of this book sales and it's very frustrating.
1: Yes, strongly agree. I i strongly agree. And i think when i said to you off the top that i find the book messy, i think that's mm-hmm. part of it. Like i I'm not convinced that Rachel Klein knows whether Ernessa is really a vampire or real at all or not. And Mm -hmm. I'm okay with me being ambiguous. I'm not okay
0: with the author (laughs) being ambiguous. I'd like to know they have a bit of certainty (laughs) as they approach the material. Yeah, Like, seriously. Yeah, I'll confess, as much as that was very frustrating, because... It's very annoying when you get to the end of a book or a film and you realize, oh, it didn't stick the landing and that's the thing that I have to take away or the thing that I'm going to most remember. But setting that aside, I will say that all of the spooky gothic horror stuff and All of those nods to Carmilla in the way that Ernessa sort of slinks around the boarding school and she never seems to be where she should and she's always creeping up on our narrator and inserting herself into conversation and stuff. All of that kind of stuff. I think it's a really clever homage to Carmilla, which honestly follows a very similar structure it's like Mm. a girl who is writing in her diary about this mysterious girl who comes to live with her and she simultaneously wants to be best friends with her but also she understands that this girl might try to kill her because there is something weird going on
1: Hmm. i think i would probably get more out of the book if i knew anything about the Mm -hmm. that story beyond what mr davies tells me about it in the book
0: Right, yeah, it's very much the Cole's notes version in the book. Like, it was maybe the most egregious example of coincidental classes that yes. we've had in quite some time, where <laughs> really our unnamed is. narrator happens to be taking a Gothic horror romance novel class. <laughs> She's like, "I'm reading all these books. Hmm, this text seems remarkably similar <laughs> to what my real life is like." And you're like, "Ooh, okay, um, sure." <laughs>
1: Well, it's nice, too, because it gives you the opportunity or sorry, it gives Klein the opportunity to have Mr. Davies as this person she's confiding in because she thinks he gets it because he's teaching this class Mm -hmm. and simultaneously for him to be like, I think you're reading too much into the books we study.
0: (laughs) Right. Which works for this
1: kind of push pull with his character.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, He's a very interesting character. Like... It seemed obvious to me that there was something more to their relationship. Like uh, there's a girl, Claire, who is like she's kind of boy crazy. So so when Claire sees that there's going to be a male faculty member, we haven't really said this. The book is also ambiguous about this, but there's insinuations that the book takes place in either the late 60s or the early 70s. So it does make sense that all these girls are out of boarding school. They're kind of sexually repressed and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But Claire falls for Mr. Davies because he's basically the only male at the whole school, because it's all all girls. And she gets really jealous of the protagonist relationship. But the reality is, is- the protagonist has a good relationship with Mr. Davies because she actually reads the books and pays attention. So he values the fact that she contributes to the class, whereas Claire is clearly an idiot who just wants to make moon eyes at him and he is not interested because he's married and has a child. But then there's also a part where he actually... Like sexually gropes the protagonist.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's fascinating as a relationship structure in the book because it's it's usurious from the jump. The reason why Mister mm-hmm. Davies is so interested in our narrator, even before our narrator takes an interest in his class, is because her dead father was a, maybe not famous but an acclaimed poet, right. and the teacher is a big fan of this poet's work. And so there's this sense throughout the book, you know, the father looms large, like oh, there. Yeah. Are, there's a moment where she is confronted by this fantasy image representation, hallucination, or maybe mm-hmm. not, of Ernessa mm-hmm. in the library. And Ernessa cuts herself open, uh, and it's described in the book as a yawing mouth of blood, uh, which mm-hmm. in the film is frankly really a lot. well
0: done it's my favorite part of the movie yeah <laughs> i
1: knew it would be she well, looks very course. much like the, i mean the imagery in the film is very much like the virgin mary but being like completely covered in blood mm-hmm. um so anyway that is also how her father died and she's mm-hmm. the one who found her father's body so like this interplay of like the her father looming large over all of these traumas not just the trauma of sort of the loss of her friendship with Lucy and Ernessa's role in that, but also the trauma of this sexual predator of an English teacher. Mm -hmm. It's present, ever present. But again, I feel like there's not a great payoff for that component of the book. Like, I think that I wanted, you know, like her father doesn't even come up in that afterward. Like, if you're going to wrap everything up with the afterward,
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) could we bring up
1: the dead dad again, maybe? (laughs) No? There's like one line where she says, my children have a father and I don't. And like, that's this distinction that she draws between herself and her children. But yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the assumption that I made was that if you believe none of the Arnesa stuff either happened, or she misread the situation and the girl did in fact exist, but none of the supernatural stuff was real. I think we're meant to assume that it's because of the stuff with her dad that she either hallucinates or misinterprets everything. So that's why the dad keeps coming up. Yes. And of course, if you do believe all the supernatural stuff is happening and Ernessa really is either an emotional or physical vampire and she's sucking Lucy dry and doing all these other horrible things around the school, then you kind of read it as, well, the reason the protagonist – is aware of it is because she has already been touched by tragedy and trauma
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: so again like i enjoy that ambiguity you're right that it doesn't have a super strong payoff i honestly feel like a lot could have been saved if we didn't have the afterword because (laughs) that does torpedo a lot of the fun of wondering what is real and what is not
1: and you know that's i think why I said off the top, it's very clearly a debut. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of great stuff happening yeah. in this book. But Klein herself is not assured enough as a novelist to to deliver it fully, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's not – like, I enjoyed this read. Um, I wouldn't say you should avoid the book. But I think that these are the kinds of missteps that, you know, maybe maybe right. that afterward is the presence of an overly – involved editorial hand right somebody who did want a final answer like who knows what the story is there but (laughs) the end result is something that does not come together as as carefully as it could i think
0: yeah. So I'm I'm interested because we're two weeks out from talking about paper girls and we both heavily praised the kind of female dynamics or the the way that the comics and especially the show managed to tackle the realities of preteens and teen girls. And one of the things that came to mind when I was reading the the moth diaries, apart from Carmilla, it reminded me a little bit of things like The Virgin Suicides mm-hmm. and maybe even the Crucible. So I'm wondering, since you're far more steeped in the literature side, do you feel like there's an interesting angle that The Moth Diaries is playing with regard to, like, teenage girl relationships, but maybe also hysteria?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that, for better or for worse, this book is a lot less generous to <laughs> to female friendships mm-hmm. and girlhood than something like Paper Girls is, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that I don't like about the way the girls interact with each other um, okay. that I don't think is necessarily a critique of Klein. And I'm thinking particularly about how food is handled in
0: the book. Oh, food so and much fatness. about food. Yep. <laughs> yes.
1: The girls are all obsessed with weight gain. They are obsessed with like the fact that there was an anorexic girl at the school last year. They're Mm -hmm. obsessed with sort of dissecting all of that. But then when they're actually faced with three characters who are not eating, Mm -hmm. they just ignore it. Like like They just try to look away and not see it, right? Because of course, that's the other explanation for Lucy's increasing weak state is is that she is succumbing to an extremely severe eating disorder. And Mm -hmm. And no one wants to look directly at it. And the fact that the explanation for her death is that she had a heart attack in her sleep would align with
0: mm-hmm. a reading
1: of it that she has a severe case of anorexia. And so I think that I wanted to see more compassion and kindness between the girls. But that's just like what I wanted to see. I think probably right. what Klein is depicting is really realistic. And that's really painful and awful. Um, mm mm-hmm. But yeah, I think in general, the friendships here are like heavily sapphic and (laughs) Oh. <laughs> just a little, yeah. And then but the narrator is the narrator is interestingly self-aware about it, right? Because one of the lines that gets drawn in the book is the boarding school girls versus the day school girls. Mm-hmm. And the day school girls avoid the boarding school girls because they think there's something yeah. weird going on. Right?
0: <laughs> and that something weird has a lesbian vibe.
1: Right. Like their friendships are just a little too intense. They're a little too touchy feely. They're a little mm-hmm. right, like and this is really off putting to you know, 1960s, 1970s day school girl. And what the narrator tells us is this is just the way it is. Like, Mm -hmm. we live together, we see each other, this is just who we are and how we engage with each other, and it's different for the other girls.
0: But Mm -hmm. I think that that
1: means that what we end up with is a friend group that like, I used the word enmeshed earlier. Like, mm-hmm. it is not a healthy friend group, generally no. speaking. No, um, like,
0: this, this book is rife with bad friendships, but yes. it almost seems like the girls are unaware of it. Like... They need each other because they're the only company that they have. And they have to cover for each other. They party together. Obviously, they're around each other all the time. Like, even on the weekends, unless they go home to their parents, they're taking trips into town. They're going and doing activities off grounds and so on. So, like, their entire lives are these other girls. And yet they also kind of seem to hate each other. Yeah. Or... Or they're jealous of each other. Or there's something that that girl does that really annoys me. But I don't tell it to her face. I tell the other girls instead. like, mm-hmm. And that to me, I mean, yeah, it's not a great depiction of female friendship. But to me, it does ring authentically true. Like we see it in things nowadays or throughout the last 20 to 25 years and things like heathers and mean girls, right? Mm-hmm. Like the way that girls interact with each other can sometimes be very mean and cruel. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah no absolutely there's a there's a deep toxicity that runs through this (laughs) and we get to see so much of it because we're reading a diary right Mm -hmm. so we get to see how our narrator is talking about how dora is boring and terrible one minute and then on literally the next page they are taking a trip into town together and she can't imagine what she would do without her
0: (laughs) Dora, you're so important to me flip the page Ugh. If I ever had to write, read her dumb book about Nietzsche, you would like, <laughs> burn myself. You're just like, okay, take it down a notch.
1: <laughs> and that's part of the conceit of the book, right? Is that it is a diary. And so everything is heightened emotionally.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Because it's the sharing of these private thoughts. And also because literally everything is mediated through this narrator who we don't mm-hmm. know whether we should trust or not.
0: Yeah. See, I loved all that stuff, Brenda. I thought it was so interesting and rich. Even... Even without a satisfying payoff, just getting to see the way the girls' lives intermix and then see it amplified by the supernatural, maybe question mark stuff, <laughs> I was just like, "Ooh, it's really juicy! I'm loving it."
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I know that I think there's a lot of good stuff here. I just did not find it wholly satisfying hmm. as a total read. There are individual parts of it that I really quite liked a lot. Hmm. And I this is definitely a book where I understand why we only get one perspective. But like, I was dying to know what Lucy was thinking through the whole book. <laughs> like.
0: Right? I'm to really about she was like, Oh, my God, this girl, she needs to just back <laughs> off and leave me alone for a couple days. She's <laughs> so possessive of Lucy.
1: So intense. So intense.
0: Also, uh, in case you didn't see the connection, Lucy, aka the reference to Bram Stoker's Dracula, lucy is the female victim that dracula preys on
1: oh yeah no i did not get that absolutely not Nope. <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> uh well Bruno, why don't we switch over to the film and talk about where it succeeds and fails absolutely i was sent here two years ago my father had just died my mother was a wreck no one comes to praying unless something bad has happened to them It gives me great pleasure to welcome another freshman class. This is going to be the best year ever. I've missed you so much.
1: Rebecca, I want you to meet a new girl, Anessa Block. She'll be in the room across the hall.
0: I wonder what her secret is. Well,
1: everyone's got one.
0: In all of the classic gothic horror
1: stories, we see anxiety about female power, female sexuality mysterious stranger begins to take over the narrator.
0: The vampire's a very lonely figure. She wants someone to be all hers. Forever. She's a nice person if you give her a chance. Don't feel bad about your father. Some people find great joy in the prospect of death. There's something weird about Ernest. I think you're imagining things. You have to believe me.
1: You know, cooped up here, your girls get so close, all that emotion can turn toxic.
0: My mother, she butchered me. My father, he ate me. My sister. Something terrible is happening. It's like she's invading my mind. You're really letting this whole Ernesto thing get you. She's turned you against me. You don't even want to know her. Well, she's my best friend. It's not fair. I can't stand having you around me all the time, wanting me only for yourself. Don't you see? She has ruined everything for me. There are three things you find in every vampire story sex, blood, and death. Okay. As we said, so The Moth Diaries was adapted both by screenplay and direction by Mary Heron. Uh, So this comes out in 2011, so about nine years after the book. And this is Canadian, Brenna. Mm -hmm. So we've got Sarah Bolger, who I recognize from the Tudors and a bunch of other things, as our now named protagonist, who is Becca or Rebecca. We've got Lily Cole as our Nessa. She has a very ethereal, almost alien-esque look. Lily Cole is a, a supermodel, so it yeah. makes sense. <laughs> She's
1: so unsettling to look at. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that they do is they shoot her like front on all the time. And mm-hmm. they've made her up so that... I mean, she already has wide set eyes, which is yes. you know, part of her striking appearance. Mm-hmm. But they've used makeup and a straight on camera shot to make that scene even more extreme. She's so yes. unsettling.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's a great performance. There's just, uh, well, we'll talk about it in a moment. (laughs) We've got Sarah Gandon as Lucy. I gather this is before she really started to break out in bigger performances. So it was interesting to see a younger version of her. And um, I don't really find many of the other girls to be particularly memorable. So I might just jump down to Scott Speedman plays Mr. Davies.
1: For those who are very familiar with the Scott Speedman oeuvre, this is Whisper Scott Speedman. So he has two <laughs> modes. Right? Okay. He has like he has like romantic lead Scott Speedman, where he's like, Felicity. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. And then he has Whisper Scott Speedman, where I think it's when he thinks he's being a serious actor, right. um, where he mm-hmm. whispers every single line in right. in the film. This is a whisper bowl.
0: <laughs> I will say I actually find him well cast for this. Oh because- no, I don't
1: disagree. <laughs>
0: Well oh that's funny because I I think Mr. Davies is meant to be charming but also he thinks he's more important and smart than he actually is and I'm sad to say I think that Scott Speedman embodies those characteristics. Wow.
1: <laughs> yes, no I agree especially Whisper Scott Speedman that's like his main thing.
0: Hmm. So, big difference from the book to the film. There are no real diaries, so we no. do see her writing in them, but there's no framing device. So this is not after the fact. It's just presented as a year in the life of Rebecca. And there's also
1: lots of voiceover narration, which, as listeners know, is Joe's favorite my thing.
0: Favorite. <laughs> I loved it. No, it was. It was mostly fine. It wasn't incredibly egregious. Like, I found that it was kind of used when it needed to be there. Although, yes, as always, it's a bit of a narrative crutch that I feel like sometimes creative people can get out of if they tried harder. I guess the other hard thing is that even though rebecca is definitely our protagonist it doesn't feel as clearly filtered through her eyes Mm -hmm. so uh this is an opening up of the world we get a sense of other characters like there's a couple of scenes that don't even have rebecca in them so Mm -hmm. we're kind of just following the girls over the course of the year and then to me the biggest problem with this movie is that it is not set in the past. It is very clearly set in the present day. So even though we're wearing like old-timey nightgowns to go to bed, this is not set in the late 60s or early 70s. It, it to me, feels like it could be mid-90s to I was going to say,
1: yeah, it's not, it's specifically not present day if you look at the cars that they're driving and the fact mm-hmm. that no one has a cell phone, which would be useful in many scenarios in the book. Right. um, in, Sorry, in the film. But it's very unclear about its time period. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they they dress like, I mean, why are they wearing these full length white nightgowns? It makes <laughs> no go? sense. It makes no sense.
0: Like Mary Heron is clearly trying to do some evocations of gothic horror, but by yeah. changing the timing, but then keeping certain things like the costuming, the fact that this is still an all girl boarding school, to me, it doesn't work at all. And the way she shoots the film, it's not really spooky or unnerving. Like there's almost never any fog. There's really no sense of tension. So
1: I was delighted by that part. Uh, <sighs> I was like, oh chill, this wasn't scary at all. Thanks.
0: Boo. Even the scenes where Ernessa is supposed to be very threatening, like outside of that library confrontation where Ernessa, yeah, basically becomes a human blood fountain, most of this film doesn't have any kind of mood or atmosphere or tension i'm sure it's great for folks like you who are big scaredy cats but (laughs) to me that's the big appeal of the book and if you're not doing that in the film adaptation then what are we doing
1: so i want to start my comments by saying that i am not defending this as a great film okay I do not think it's a thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes film.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's remember the algorithm crap for Rotten Tomatoes. So <laughs> that's just like, yeah. Anyway, go so ahead.
1: So I, I don't like I don't think it is the one of the worst films we've ever watched on the show, for example.
0: No. no.
1: But here's what I think it's doing wrong. I agree with you that the time period is a problem. I agree mm-hmm. with you that the focalization is a problem. The problem with the mm-hmm. focalization is there's no ambiguity. Ernessa is a vampire. No.
0: Yes. Yes. Period. And and Mary Heron does not trust us. No so it oh my really gosh. comes through like at every moment. It's like, Wow, she's super evil. Look at her. She's incredibly intimidating and scary. And you're just like, Oh, oh, okay. I guess. So- yeah.
1: So you have nailed my number one problem with the film. I think I said this to you in a text last Mm -hmm. night, but sometimes it feels like Mary Heron is literally standing off stage, mouthing, she's a vampire
0: at us. Do you get it? I can't make it more clear. Because
1: I have to tell you, I did not have the context of... Carmilla for reading the book and I Mm -hmm. didn't look at the cover or read any of the back copy when I started reading it. So I had this really actually quite delicious slow build as I figured out this was a vampire story. Like it took me a while, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I would expect that out of a film adaptation where everybody knows you're going into a vampire story. But Mm -hmm. it would have been nice if, for example, Rebecca wasn't immediately aware that there was a vampire (laughs) Right. What I mean, like there's no sort of piecing together puzzling, there's no Mm-mm. none of the kind of mystery ambiguity aspect that does work really well in the book even if I ultimately didn't find it satisfying. Mhm. I will say that I think what the film does really nicely is mm-hmm. girlhood. Like yeah. I think that ultimately this is the problem with this film is that it's not a vampire movie, it's a movie right. about girlhood, mm-hmm. but Mary Heron doesn't doesn't trust us enough to use the vampire as a metaphor so instead we just have a compelling story about girlhood with a confusing vampire character (laughs) in it i think
0: yeah yeah it's basically here's the story of an interesting mixed group of girls who are spending a year at a boarding camp and also in the corner as a vampire
1: (laughs) that's exactly that is exactly what this film experience is like and it's
0: weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah. And it's a shame too, because I actually think at least the main three actresses are doing a pretty good job. I, I really enjoy well Sarah yeah. Bolger. She yeah. like, she is anchoring this text. She is trying to do her best. It's tricky because I do feel like things happen a little too quickly. As you said, she figures out Ernessa deal very fast lucy is fine 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 and then suddenly she's bedridden and can't get out to come to breakfast and you're like oh see in the book it's a very slow progression Mm -hmm. and it's weird because the film is only about 83 86 minutes and it feels much longer because Mm -hmm. in some ways it doesn't feel like anything is happening and yet when things do happen you think oh that came out of nowhere
1: they happen too quick and they resolve too quick as well. So mm-hmm. one of the nice things about the book is the way in which trauma becomes normalized for these girls that's quite disturbing. So like mm-hmm. when the dog dies, everybody is like shocked. Really upset. <laughs> and then when the first girl dies, they're actually a little bit less upset. And then by the mm-hmm. time the teacher dies, it's like, Mer, and then when Lucy dies, it's like, meh. Um, and the, the this notion that like, we get over things because that's just what happens at boarding school. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you're all being deeply traumatized by a really (laughs) horrific place.
0: Yeah, like at no point is counseling mentioned.
1: (laughs) So we have no, well, actually, that's not true. There is a counselor, but she's useless. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we have no build, like we have no build of the trauma. And instead, these moments happen very quickly, but they are also recovered from very quickly from Mm -hmm. the jump in a way that's not, I don't know. I keep saying not satisfying. I think ultimately that is my biggest complaint is like
0: yeah. I don't feel
1: like I got like a great yarn <laughs> out no. of any of this experience.
0: Yeah, I, part of me, one of my weird metrics for determining how much I did or did not like a movie is if I had to pay for this. Because of course mm. we're watching this on a free super channel <laughs> trial yeah. via Amazon Prime. <laughs> one thought I had was if I had to pay a full ticket price for this, if I had a had to go to the theater and watch this, would I have felt like I got my money's worth? And the answer here is sadly no. Mm. I. I don't know. I'm frustrated with Mary Heron because I know what she can deliver because I've seen her do quite a bit better than this. And I do get the impression she was really taken with the story of these girls. But then she also had to put in a bunch of vampire stuff that she maybe wasn't as interested in. Mm -hmm. And that's why we don't have a good vampire story. And that's why we don't have the good gothic stuff. It's because the relationship between the girls seems to be where Heron is most interested in putting her time and attention but as a result the text doesn't succeed because it still has the gothic overtures and the vampire but they're not being done well
1: yeah i agree and and it's a shame because it's actually very rare joe on the show with the mm-hmm. vampire text you have exposed me to because how else would i ever
0: <sighs> wow the backhanded a not even compliment Brenna.
1: <laughs> no no i'm not even there yet wait
0: wait <laughs> wait for it it's coming the sting it's coming
1: no, i'm gonna hurt your feelings more hang on no wow. but but generally speaking here's here's what i'm saying like mm-hmm. i don't have a lot of exposure to this kind of storytelling right okay and of the vampire stories that we have looked at at the show on the show they are pretty universally
0: not don't good
1: know, well i wasn't even gonna say not good i was gonna say like unsatisfying from the perspective of the female characters Right.
0: Oh, I see. Okay.
1: And so what we have here are some actual like fully fleshed out female
0: characters. Mm-hmm. Um
1: but we took a real dive on the vampire bit. And so yeah, it's
0: like what we can't have both of them living in harmony. It's like you can either have an okay vampire story or a teen girl, but you can't have, you can't both. have
1: both. And I I'm really interested, so I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole on Mary Heron after Mm -hmm. watching this and i was really interested i read this whole interview where she talks about how she is not a feminist filmmaker Mm -hmm. but
0: interesting because she makes almost exclusively feminist films
1: (laughs) well and she's saying you know i understand that people read my films through a feminist lens but i am not a feminist filmmaker and i was like are you sure because Hmm. i just watched the moth diaries and like the (laughs) only interesting thing about it are the women characters and the way they interact with each other
0: I think sometimes female directors shy away from that as a label because it can be used as a weapon against them. Like, Mm. oh, well, we can't take you seriously, or we're not going to give you something that we think is going to be commercial because you make feminist films.
1: Oh, gross.
0: Yep. (laughs) Hey, have we talked about misogyny and how Hollywood kind of sucks lately? Because, yeah.
1: Well, and I think, you know, I, I really think the sort of dismissal from critics... Like, it's not that I think that a lot of the comments in the reviews that I read are incorrect. Like, Mm -hmm. as I've said off the top, I don't, I'm not going to argue this is a wonderful piece of cinema. Yeah. But I think that it's an easy film to dismiss because Mm -hmm. what it has that is working well is about teen girls. (laughs) And ultimately, that's really easy to dismiss. Like, it's funny because the thing that I was, was using as a comparative text when I was looking through reviews of this last night was The Maze Runner because
0: okay so
1: <laughs> <Explain>. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to think of a genre title that was primarily men with really like non-existent oh, female characters and mm-hmm. a centering of male friendship okay so I came I came to The Maze Runner and then I started reading reviews of The Maze Runner and it was like like The Maze Runner was not a good movie right no. like we all agree it was not a good movie <laughs> But it had it got a big release. It was Mm -hmm. not dismissed. It had it had huge like money put behind advertising it and it got in front of eyeballs. And so as Mm -hmm. a result, when you look like the critic ratings on Metacritic are real low, but -hmm. it's got all this fan rating that bumps it up in the numbers. But a movie like Moth Diaries never actually gets in front of the fans. So it sits at that extremely low critic rating.
0: Mm -hmm. No, it's completely true. Obviously, I'm sure people are screaming at you saying, like, well, Brenna, you're dismissing the fact that Maze Runner is a dystopian book that was riding the coattails of things like Hunger Games. And as a result, of course, it was always going to do really big box office. But, like, yeah, we know, we know, folks. It's not like The Moth Diaries <laughs> was a huge runaway bestseller and everybody was nope. eagerly awaiting this adaptation. But your point stands that. We have spent four and a half years talking about how texts that are about women, made by women, do not get handled with the same sensitivity, the same care, the same passion, and definitely not the same bucks as mm-hmm. male created work.
1: Mm-hmm. That's all I'm it's saying. It's just
0: reality. Sorry. Yeah. If you don't like it, it's like, well, maybe we need more f-ing women doing this. <laughs> sh-. So, oh, I can't say that. Now I got to bleep it all. <laughs>
1: I also, you know, I I sent you a video, um, Joe, that was on the Roger Ebert website about a revisiting of films that had tanked and like which Mm -hmm. ones should we pay more attention to. And what I thought was particularly interesting about the Moth Diaries episode of that series is that it sort of suggests like maybe this movie just hit too early. Like if it had hit because it went straight to video on demand after the film festival circuit.
0: Death. In 2011, that's death.
1: Total death, whereas I think it might have found a home in streaming if it had come out maybe five years later. So I thought that was an mm. interesting observation, too.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll link to it. This is made by Scout Tafoya, and he's very well known for making these kind of video essays. And he's also very succinct and concise in his arguments. So uh, if folks want to check out his argument for why this film is better than you may expect, uh, you can watch it in the show notes. Yep. All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts or shall we move on to some YA bingo?
1: I think we can move on to some YA bingo. I stand by my my assertion that it's not as bad as people say.
0: <laughs> it was fine. I'm not sad that we did this. I definitely yeah. lean more in favor of the book than the film. But yeah. watching the film, watching a Canadian female-directed film, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can do that on a Friday.
1: Totally. And... Uh, in As a general rule, I'm not mad at you after watching it, so that's good.
0: <laughs> oh, good. That's the most important <laughs> takeaway. <laughs> bingo. Not a good bingo. Okay. Why a bingo? What <laughs> have you got? I'm taking coincidental classes. Get this. <laughs> just it has to be claimed immediately
1: <laughs> i was gonna say like right off the top coincidental classes abuse and female mm-hmm. director or screenwriter we're like right there first there three we go. squares
0: yes absolutely <laughs> i'm gonna say borrowed time because specifically in the book we learn that everything will take place over the course of one year so we know that we're going to probably hit everything in terms of ooh spooky stuff is happening right around the end of the school year
1: definitely um i'm going to go with dead body dead family for mm-hmm. so Both. many dads <laughs> <laughs> um are we going to call scott speedman a stunt cast here he has that vibe so scott speedman if you don't know listeners he is uh, at least partly canadian and canadian film likes to find someone with a passport mm-hmm. and uh, and a profile and be like do you want to be in our movie
0: <laughs> yeah i mean he's obviously a fairly acclaimed figure Even though, as we mentioned, he's not the best actor, but he does show up in these kinds of things where it's like, well, people will know who Mm -hmm. Scott Speedman is, so maybe we can sell it based on him.
1: Yeah, it's a very classic Canadian filmmaking move.
0: Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's the only way we can get money to make things, so.
1: (laughs) That's true. This film spent its budget on Scott Speedman and a lot of blood capsules.
0: There we go. That one scene, I really did enjoy that. I know it's obviously the most horrific scene, so of course I do, but- (laughs) I just thought it was really, really well done. And the rest of the movie is so quiet that that scene seemed loud as a result.
1: Totally agree. Um, I think we can make an argument for a chosen one narrative here because Mm. we have this Rebecca character in the film. We have our unnamed narrator who is the only person who can really see what's going on. And, of course, it's the question of are they seeing the truth or not but mm-hmm. um without her we have no story <laughs> we have no progression
0: this is true yeah and of course this is a magic supernatural story or is it but i'm gonna <laughs> give it a square
1: and joe I, I see that you've taken bad friendships off the board which is a bummer because i really wanted it for this one
0: <laughs> oh see i think that there's good friendships here especially in the way that at least the narrator feels connected to lucy like i Mm -hmm. i do believe in her mind it is the best of friendships and it's only not working out this year because of Vanessa.
1: yeah i think that's a fair observation for sure um i want to give hollow romances to that guy who one of the girls sleeps within the woods
0: (laughs) i knew you were gonna bring that up
1: Oh, good. I love that whole scene.
0: Uh, <laughs> so I have a question. Do you think we can give a square to queer secondary character? Or is it implied lesbianism? And as a result, it can't be considered a legitimate square?
1: It's a good question, right? Because it's such an important tone to both the book and the film that they have these sort of near sexual intimacies with each other. Mm-hmm. I, um, I think I'm gonna leave the call on that up to you.
0: Okay. I mean, I I had it down. I just wasn't sure if I was going to have to fight for it.
1: (laughs) No, you don't have to fight for it.
0: okay well the only other one that i have is an inclusion flip because unless i'm mistaken the book doesn't specify on the race of the charlie character mm-hmm. and she's the the kind of hard partying girl who ends up getting kicked out of school early on which is maybe one of hair. the only reasons she gets uh, to survive the year yes and then of course in the film uh we have valerie tian playing her so we've got um like an asian canadian character
1: Mm -hmm. The only one I will add, uh, my final one is CGI for um, all the flying when they when they fly.
0: Oh, yeah, which is funny, because part of me thought, I know it's, it's almost always cheaper to use CGI than to use something like a crane or wire work. But that moment where Arnesa and Lucy float up into the sky, it could have been such an interesting, powerful moment. Mm -hmm. And instead, all I could think of was, well, this doesn't look convincing
1: no and it's a shame because I, we haven't talked about this at all but there's a stylistic choice throughout the film with these moths who do mm-hmm. look very like practical they look almost like papercraft in a right. lot of scenes and i actually found them very interesting persuasive they blur that line between reality and fantasy that the film shies away mm-hmm. from otherwise right so i was hoping for something more like that but we got we got uh bad flying instead <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I get it. It's it's hard to do well, particularly if you are making movies on a shoestring budget, but it's yeah. just one of those things where I thought, this is a big, big, big moment. Like, this is Lucy's death moment. And instead, all I could think about was how I wasn't convinced.
1: Yeah, I think Scott Speedman should give up a little bit of his salary for uh, for practical effects there, but... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes many dollars should have been given out of scott <laughs> speedman's huge paycheck for this movie
1: all right i'm done that's everything I- oh no no joe oh my god the film filmed in the territory now known as canada oh my gosh. Oh,
0: sorry yeah i i fully default had that one like blocked <laughs> off early on but um good news is that that does give us two full lines
1: oh you diaries you did something right <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Brenna, well, before we tell people where we're going next week, if they want to get a hold of us to yell at us for either making them read or watch this or praise us because we, I don't know, expose them to it, yay, how, how do they get in touch with us?
1: All right, well, if you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, it's at HKHSpod or on the hashtag HKHSpod. But if you've got something longer, you can find us on the email, hkhspod mm-hmm. at gmail.com particularly useful if you are reading ahead for book club to lord of the flies i can't believe we're gonna do Mm. lord of the flies joe i'm so excited
0: oh yeah the book and the (laughs) film so here we go again
1: if you want to send joe a message about for example your favorite scott speedman performances you can find him (sighs) where joe
0: i feel like that is a cue you should have used for yourself i will take uh, (laughs) sapphic lesbian vampire recommendations and i can be reached at beast on my remote and that's the letter b
1: and I'm at Brenna C. Grey, that's grey with an A. Joe, where are we going next week?
0: Well, despite the fact that this is our last episode of October and spooky season, we're not quite out of the woods, literally or figuratively, Brenna, because we're going to check in with Lana Candor's very ridiculous, silly, fun, but also slightly supernatural show, Boo Bitch
1: so excited for this one. I was like, Joe, look, we found Halloween content I want (laughs) to (laughs) watch.
0: Folks, I have seen uh, just over half of this series. It is the easiest of binges. You have to let go of the rules. They make absolutely no sense. Maybe they'll get explained in the final episode. But this show is just silly, dumb fun. I really enjoyed it
1: yay okay i'm really excited to dig into it so um yeah until next time i guess i will see you on these spooky pages
0: <laughs> and i will see you on the exploding vampire screens
1: <laughs> there's so much blood
0: oh so much blood <laughs> I will say, regardless of how it finishes, it's always frustrating, right? When you get a book that doesn't nail the landing or a film, as it may be uh, seems to happen more often with media. Nope.
1: <clears throat> but if you've got something longer, you can find us at a <clears throat> lose my voice halfway through.
0: Apart from the aforementioned library confrontation where <clears throat> apart they from spent th- the whole the- budget? Sorry, I lost my voice. So, Um, even the aforementioned, so, even apart from, damn it.